Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvroski. On this week's episode, Russ Laraway, the author of When They Win, You Win, joins the show. We dive deep into how we quantify the soft skills of leadership, what behaviors leaders need to exhibit to boost employee engagement, and why career conversations are so important for your people. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders who turn their teams into happy high performers that achieve their goals. And if you'd like to learn more about that, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com and you can find out more information on all of the Leadership 2.0 development programs, services, and offerings that we have, which include leadership coaching, high-performance mindset coaching, leadership development programs for your people, psychological safety assessments and programming, DEI, and more. So head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for the best research-backed high-performance leadership strategies that will build you into a high-impact leader who turns your team into happy high performers that achieve your goals, head on over there. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. This episode has a ton of actionable things. And if you're looking for the tools that Russ mentions, pick up a copy of the book, When They Win, You Win, and also head on over to whentheywinyouwin.com and you can find all of the tools and information there. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And here's the interview with Russ Laraway. We are live. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, the yin to my yang. Susan Hobson's here. Susan, how are you? I am fabulous. It's sunny. It's almost the weekend. Maybe not for everybody out there listening to this interview. My apologies. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm feeling great. How are you feeling, buddy? Yeah, the, they, this one usually drops Monday morning. So <laughs> just, just I realized that as soon as I let that out of the cage. <laughs> prepare for a long week ahead, right? <laughs> right. And so we always have to start this show with a quote. And I have one here from Margaret Wheatley. And she says, leadership is a series of behaviors rather than a role for heroes. And this is going to segue really well into our guest today, the author of When They Win, You Win. And you can check out the website for the book, whentheywinyouwin.com. The author, Russ Laraway. Russ, how are you? Hey, what's going on? Um, that, I, by the way, that's an excellent quote to select. I think, um, I think leadership needs to be demystified a little bit, and I would agree with the quote the the quote person there um, that it is really more than anything a set of behaviors, uh, but I'm doing great. Excited to be here, as you both know, but your listeners won't know. I had some technical difficulties, so I'm going to have to talk fast. I think so we can get through this whole thing because you guys have another another commitment. But yeah, it's doing great. No, we we can always make space to have you back, and and it's you know it's one of my uh, sweet spot gifts is the ability to choose quotes. So <laughs> that's what I'm good at. So Russ, I mean, uh, for folks out there, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the behaviors that leaders should be taking and how we actually bring and demystify leadership, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. I'm. Uh... I live in Utah. I've got a family. I have three sons. Um, Two of them are in college. One's about to be a high school senior. Um, I've had a career that's probably, you know, well, most recently been in tech. So seven years at Google for it, Twitter. I actually spent two years at Radical Candor. Kim Scott and I founded a company there. Um, Then was chief people officer at Qualtrics for four years. And now I'm the chief people officer at Goodwater Capital. Um, Before all that, I went to Wharton School in Philly. That's where I'm from. And um, I, before uh, the Wharton School, I was a company commander in the United States Marine Corps. And then 
after that for about five years, um, ran a supply chain consulting company with uh, with the, with some friends. Actually, it was it was amazing. Um, so yeah, Philly born and bred, go birds, and um, but living out here in Utah, and we're we're quite enjoying the uh, the mountains and all the space. Oh my gosh, I bet that sounds lovely. I love it out there. Absolutely gorgeous. The mountainous. I've been to Utah and Colorado, kind of similar, right? In terms of the terrain, but yes, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty similar. But once you get, um, once you get east of Denver, uh, you get into sort of prairie and farmland. Once you get sort of <clears throat> west of the Wasatch range in Utah, uh, it's high desert. So, so, so it has a little bit of variability, but as far as the mountains go, yeah, they're, they're real similar. So Russ, I would love to ask this question when we get our new guests on the mic. Uh, would you please share with our audience, what does leadership mean to you? Well, it means, it means something very different after having written this book than it might have <laughs> for the, my first 28 years of leading teams. Um, I think, uh, first of all, I, I thought a lot about what is the purpose of leadership. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think I think we get into we we've confused ourselves about this. In, in the end, le- leadership is about leading others to some outcome, and that doesn't matter if it's in government or nonprofit or religion um, or business, um, education. Sort of doesn't matter the context. And I think we can do just a tiny bit better. I think it would be great if we could lead people toward some outcome and have them be pretty psyched while we're doing that. <clears throat> and so. Ultimately, um, I think we have to get out of this business of, oh, what does leadership mean to me? I think we actually have to get out of that business. I think we have to learn, and elite, learn to lead in a way that measurably and predictably leads to more engaged employees, so being psyched at work, and delivering better outcomes or better business results. And I, I think um, I would have said a lot of other things, possibly even just a couple of years ago, but now going through the process of you know driving a bunch of this first-party research in, in writing this book, I'm I'm pretty confident that's that's not only now what it means to me. I think it actually should mean that to a lot more people. So let's go there, right? Mm-hmm. So over the course of writing the book, like what were some of the things that you learned, and where are some of the gaps in leadership now? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, it sort of starts with this idea. The first thing I learned is you can measure leadership. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of. Well, I know for a fact there's not a lot of folks doing that. Um, in fact, there's nobody doing that. So, so, but you can. And and the way you do that's kind of interesting. Um, once you figure out what these behaviors are, going back to your quote, Rob. Um, now you have to test whether those behaviors correlate or have a quantitative relationship with those two things that Susan and I talked about, which is employee engagement, so people being psyched at work, and business outcomes. <clears throat> and so the first major learning was we had, you have to figure out a way to measure leadership. And so what's great about this idea that leadership's a set of behaviors is you can observe whether a leader is showing certain behaviors. And so we took about 12 Um, You know, in the book, I call it the big three. I know we'll get there, but the big three, direction, coaching, career, that breaks down into about 12 behaviors. And it turns out that um, if you ask employees once a quarter, if they're seeing their managers show these behaviors, just put it on a five-point scale. So maybe one is, um, you know, um, my manager regularly gives me feedback for me to improve my performance. It's a question like that. I can't remember the exact wording. And the employee can say strongly agree, agree, or strongly disagree, disagree at the bottom end. Top two is good, bottom two is bad. And um, you start to get sort of a measurement on the frequency with which the employees believe their managers are showing these behaviors. Anyway, it's actually pretty robust measurement. I, you know, a lot of people think there's massive selection bias because employees would be scared to say the truth about their managers. It kind of turns out, first of all, these tools often have um, confidentiality built in, but beyond that, when you ask employees if a manager's shown behaviors, they're actually pretty inclined to tell the truth. And so four times a year for four years, we, you know, we got 16 measurements on how every single manager at our company at Qualtrics at the time was leading. And, um, and that was really, really, that was interesting to me. The idea that we could 
measurably improve our managers, right? It wasn't just that I thought we were, but we could we could measure that, and then and then you know mix it in with engagement and results, and we had a pretty pretty interesting. But that's that's probably the biggest one because I'm I, I just before I wrote this book, I promise you, I was just like everybody else. You know, it's 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 more art than science, and and it's um you know, and I have these, it's my way, and I've got a style that's like that word's got to go too. Charisma's got to go. Leadership style's got to go. <laughs> um, it's a set of behaviors, and you can measure whether those behaviors are being exhibited. I I mean I totally agree with that, and and I've always thought that we needed to go down that direction more ourselves. And this is why I reached out because I, yeah. I love the direction that you've gone down and, and for folks out there, like engagement to business results have been extensively studied by Gallup. They have the stats everywhere. And even like in their 2021 stated that the workplace that came out a few weeks ago, maybe they said that basically disengagement's costing us globally $8.1 trillion. So that adds up. Yep. It's a lot. <laughs> but now I want to get to the point about like, what do leaders do to drive engagement? Because we, we've got to the point that engaged is good and it's going to drive results. So what are those foundational behaviors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Maybe uh, if you don't mind, I just want to maybe set a little context with a little exercise and and I'll lay out the exercise and you two are welcome to try the exercise. You're welcome to punt and just have me give you kind of my answer. So your call after the exercise, you get to decide. I I actually, when I do my talks around the book, I I actually like the audience to participate in this little exercise. So I I have a task for you. That task is that I need you to write a job description for a manager, but couple, but a couple constraints. First is this job description has to work for every single manager in the world, meaning it has to work just as well for the CEO of Google as it does for the frontline sandwich shop manager at like Jersey Mike's. Excuse me. That's constraint number one. It has to work for there's 140 million businesses in the world of you know average 10, 20 managers. You start to do that's a lot of managers. Um, and then the second constraint is you only have two bullets. So the job description in total is two bullets. And the only other thing I like to say is if, if you want to participate, focus on duties, not attributes. So for example, don't say be a good listener. Uh, don't say be empathetic because those are right. Those wouldn't be wrong, but that's kind of not where we're at. We're, actually, we're after a job description. Um, so your call, Susan and Rob, do you want to try it or do you want me just to kind of get into it? Let's, I mean, let's try it. There's no wrong answer, by the way. Yeah. So... Duties. I would Two say, yeah, I would say, give and receive feedback constantly would be one for me. Um, and measure and track performance. All right, Rob. That's Rob's too. Pretty solid, actually. Susan, what do you what do you got? I was going to go in the opposite direction in terms of helping them with their vision, right? In regards to their career ascension, their contribution to the greater mission of the company, wow. right? Those those sorts of things, and then definitely feedback and you know challenging and supporting in the process of delivering that feedback. Really, really strong uh, contribution here from between you. I think we got it. So, and again, I promise <laughs> we, we are all, we are the yin and the great, yang. Great team, great team. <laughs> now yeah. you know why we, we call ourselves that, Russ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great team. So, um, here's what I came up with, and I promise you, there's no, there's this doesn't make it right. I just had like five years to think about this and and kind of dial in the language. First obligation for every manager is deliver an aligned result. And so if we go back to kind of Rob's second bullet, you know, mm-hmm. that's really, you know, that's what you're getting at. And the key word there is aligned. Mm-hmm. And, and the word aligned is doing a ton of work. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you both know in companies, um, one of the hard, the bigger the company gets, the harder it is to have, you know, the frontline, say, software engineer, the frontline account executive is clearly working on something that directly links up to the company's top level objectives. Deliver an aligned result. There's, not, there's nothing else to do. There's no feedback to give. There's no fun stuff. To, there's nothing else to do unless we're working toward an aligned result for the company. 
or the church or the school or the government or the hospital. Um, the second one is, and, it, and, you, and it'll go to Rob's first and Susan's first. The second bullet I have is enable the success of the people on your teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Rob, you talked about feedback. Susan, you're, it may not be apparent, but your, your answer is there too, because success in this case is two parts. It's the short-term success around being really good at your job and feedback at coaching. I think Rob is the most important tool you have there. And so Susan, you're your second point as well, but it's also your long-term success. So enabling someone toward their long-term career vision. And so Susan, that's what, that's kind of what you let off with. So that's why I say with no hyper, I'm not, I, I don't make stu- stuff up. I'm never hyperbolic. I'm not particularly arbitrary. And so you both nailed it together. I, and so well done. So deliver, deliver an aligned result, enable the success of the people on your teams, right? And so um, that's sort of a that's sort of maybe a, a top down version of um, the sort of this like big three. The bottoms up version was we took a set of behaviors and we studied, we mixed them into this statistic, you know, statistical package. We measured how often they're happening, and turns out they these two things ended up matching up really, really well around this big three. And so direction, coaching, career. Rob, I think the question was, I, I almost can't remember now. So you have to, was what are the behaviors? What is it that the good managers do? So mm-hmm. the good managers make sure, so direction, coaching, career, the big three breaks down 12 behaviors. Um, the first thing that they do is they make absolutely certain that everyone on their team knows what is expected of them and when it's expected by. And they, ideally they do that collaboratively, right? The manager's job is not so much to set direction as much as it is, it is to ensure direction is set. There's a lot written about if you give people a say in the direction, they'll they'll go toward the uh, they'll go toward that um, direction with a lot more enthusiasm. So that's the first thing they do. They're not confused. And in the book, I tease out a four part framework um, per, uh, for your team: purpose, which lasts the longest, barely ever changes. Why do we exist? Your vision, which is actually tends to it lasts a little less long. You know, think maybe two years, three years. Depends. You know, smaller companies maybe it's a little shorter. That's ideally measurable or binary. The idea with the vision is, it's the hill we're trying to climb. But the reason why vision should generally be more tangible is because if you think of a landscape with a lot of hill, with one hill, it usually has a lot of hills. And if you say meet me at the top of the hill, you'll have ten people on ten different hilltops. And so you have to be fairly clear. To get developed together, what is that hill we're going to climb? Um, then we get into those are long term elements. Then we get into two short term elements. Quarterly goals. I like OKRs. Um, you know, and you can cover cover pretty well in there some of the uh, the the commandments of OKRs and the gotchas and pitfalls. But you know, measure what matters is of course the original book around that. And then last and the shortest in duration. I've stolen the word prioritization, and I've gave it. I've given it some very specific meaning. Are our quarterly goals priorities? Yeah, but we have a word for that. So OKRs. Is our vision a priority? Yeah, but we have a word for that. It's vision. So I've taken the word priority to be daily or weekly expressions of work. And I go into some detail about prioritizations and exercise and subtraction, not addition. So the best managers are helping their people subtract the nonsense, high visibility activity, and focusing on just the very small number of things that actually matter, the measurable things that line up to company objectives. That's direction. Then the second one's coaching. And this is, Rob, you mentioned feedback. Susan, you mentioned feedback. Um, I've chosen the word coaching. A bunch of reasons for that. feels a little more energetic. The coach is on the field with the players, at least at practice. Um, and it's coaching is always just about getting better, whether it's coaching to continue some things or whether it's coaching to improve some things. Um, coaching is just about getting better. And also cheerleaders, they're on the sideline and they, they're yelling, good job. And that's not, that's not it. That's not helping anybody. And so yelling, good job, like a cheerleader isn't helping, but getting on, you got your headset and you got a clipboard or whatever, and you're coaching people um, toward more success. That's, that's the word I like. And then last is career. And so have you, by the way, on career, have either, have either of you ever seen any space movie before? Yep. Yeah, sure. Star Wars. Okay. Star Wars. Okay. That's a good one. Rob, what space movies have you seen? Yeah, I've seen Star Wars 2. <laughs> That's probably, I don't know. Just, There's just Star Wars 1 ones. and 2? What is the asteroid one <laughs> yeah. with Bruce Willis and some other ones? Great. All right. So do you know, so you've watched space movies. Uh, have you ever heard of the slingshot maneuver? Do you know what the slingshot maneuver is? Yeah. What is it? It's where you go around a planet and you basically use the gravitational pull of the planet to propel you forward. Boom. And so, you know, what was it? The Martian, 
It's it's always set up like that. This happens in like literally every space movie, except except I think Spaceballs. And so the mission's in jeopardy. You're almost out of fuel, you know. But so, and suddenly, and suddenly the mission changes. Right? Hey, that guy's still alive on Mars. We got to go get him. You know, it was was that was the Martian. <laughs> and so um, they said, "Well, how are we going to do it?" You know, like, "Oh, we got to do a gravity assist or a slingshot maneuver." And so they. You know, they go around the planet, use plants' gravity, and it slings them off into the far reaches of the galaxy so they can complete their mission. Uh, I think a lot of managers think about their relationship with their employees uh, at least partially wrong. They think about them just as that person sitting across from right now, just the employee. And you have them for what, two two years if they're on your... Maybe these days, you know, if the company might get to keep them for four. You might have them for two of those four. Um, and I'm going to argue that if you just think about your employee in that tiny little window, you're missing a big opportunity. You have to think of their full trajectory. There's a whole life story behind that I think is important to understand because by understanding their pivots, you'll understand what they value. And then you have to understand their long-term vision, where they want to be in their, in their dream job. And I think it's only when you understand those two things, you can kind of connect those up and, and develop a career action plan that helps them take small steps toward their long-term goal. You're the slingshot. You, your job while you have this employee is... To slingshot them off into the not into the galaxy. Don't don't slingshot people into the sky. You're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna fire. But but you know metaphorically slingshot them into the far reaches of their career. So there's a bunch of specific behaviors under that. In fact, in the book, I open up each part with the questions we ask employees to understand if their managers are demonstrating these behaviors. So I get real specific in the book. Um, I, I think you know. We don't probably need to go quite there yet, but it's those are the broad sets of behaviors, Rob. Um, direction, coaching, and career. And that, that's just a little bit about what each one means and kind of how we talk about it and when they win you win. Now, I know where I want to dig next, Russ, uh, since we've got you here as the expert right in this book. We've been looking a lot at this whole great resignation talent war thing that's been going on over the last little bit during this yeah. disruption, you know, in the in the pandemic and such. And we, our friend Mike Zandi was on the show and he reframed that into the great retention because he was really riffing on how a, a, a huge portion of retaining your talent and optimizing your talent really does come down to the strength of your leaders, right? In terms of their leadership behaviors. So I'm just curious, you must be seeing this too and studying this too and all your research. What are some of those key behaviors that really lead to retention um, yeah. most? I think I'm going to knock your socks off with this answer, Susan. Um, Please do. So, uh, so first of all, I got to tell you. By the way, there's probably no, no swearing on this podcast. Oh, one. go for it. Whatever. Okay. The great resignation. The great resignation's bullshit. Um, so here's what happened. Um, it's it's actually fairly straightforward. Th whether your company had excellent retention or poor retention, COVID hits. And everybody had artificially strong retention. I, I worked at a company. Our retention was sometimes we wondered if our retention was too good. You know, were we doing enough performance management? Then COVID hit. It became, you know, became incredible. Like nobody left. And I just think by the time the smoke cleared, the reality is there was just a bunch of pent up demand for people to move around. That's what we do now. We move around. And people moved around. And, and even the best companies with the best managers were going to have a big spike in attrition. Um, and so the idea of the great um, you know, retention or the great resignation, I just think, I actually, it, it happened. I mean, that it was real. I think people that purport to have solutions to it, I think are just, it's nonsense. It was just a, a it was an anomaly, a moment in time where a lot of people left because there was pent up demand to leave because nobody left during COVID. That said, your your question that you asked that is that is outstanding, I think, is what's the leadership what are the leadership behaviors that more are more likely to lead to retention? It's actually kind of interesting. Um, so you know, the model goes the big three through engagement to results. And engagement itself has has a has a decent relationship with retention. Um, it's it's not quite as silver bullet. Uh, as I was hoping it would be, um, but but it's there. So, but one of the nice things about studying leadership behaviors is you can sort of connect them with other things. So, this one question we would ask employees, which is intent to leave or intent to stay, and it's something it's something like um, how serious you know how much do you agree with the following statement? I'm seriously considering leaving employer in the next six months. 
you might be surprised to learn employees are shockingly honest about that. And so at Qualtrics, we found, I think 75% of the time when someone left, this was confidential, but once they left, we could, we could figure out uh, what they answered. 75% of the time when someone left, they told us they were going to. <laughs> and 67% of time when someone said they were seriously considering leaving, they did. And there's just a little different. So in other words, extraordinary predictive power uh, on the, you know, around attrition is the question of intent to leave. So then we, we looked at a bunch of the different behaviors and saw, do any of them have a relationship with that question? So, so it was a way we were able to get sort of one step, one step back in the, in the, in the, in the funnel here. And what we found was there was this one question that had an incredible amount of explanatory power. And that was, how much do you agree with the following statement? My manager cares about me as a human being. Mm-hmm. That, so when people feel like their manager you know, gives a hoot, uh, you know, cares about them as a human being, they're more likely to say, stay. But just that probably only knocked off one sock. I've got something that will knock off the other sock. Which is how sorry sorry about that. Which is how do you show that you care about people at work systematically? What a lot of people think that is is oh I went to the axe throwing offsite or we did go karts <laughs> or I was at the happy hour or they I always ask about their weekends or I inquire about their children or I inquire about that health thing and the the the, the insight here is that last group that that works for some people works for some managers works for some employees. I've learned over the years it doesn't work for everyone. Not every manager wants to inquire along those lines. Not every employee wants their manager to inquire along those lines. And so I think a lot of these things that we've come to believe represent caring in the workplace. I actually think they're they're just not systematic. Um, they work a little bit here and there. So what's systematic? Well, so as you as we mentioned in the opening, I worked with Kim Scott at Radical Candor. Radical Candor, if your listeners don't know, it's a two by two. Uh, challenge directly, care personally, or care personally, challenge directly. And what Kim and I started to realize is people, as they were trying to tell us their radical candor story, they were very inclined to talk about the direct challenge. Russ, you should see me. I walked into her office, <laughs> told her she's an asshole. I was radically candid. It's like, <laughs> no, you weren't. No, you weren't because there's no care personally. So I devised this exercise. Um, where I ask people to talk about a time they received radical candor at work. And um, it's my, can you guys still hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Yeah, cool. And so they would, they would come up with a story and have them share with a partner. And then I would have them, um, and I would have them kind of come up and share with the group. I have four people to share. So like I had 600 repetitions, 150 workshops, four people each. And they tell their story and they talk about the direct challenge. And that was always very, very clear. And, um, and then, but they would never give any treatment to care personally, which is what I was, was what the exercise was designed to do to get to, So I, and I said, I said, thank you. Um, I understood your direct challenge of X, Y, and Z. Tell me about the care personally. And they'd start into some of these, you know, other ideas. Oh, well, they'd always ask about my weekends or, oh, they'd ask about this or ask about that. And I said, well, what was it about them deciding to give you that hard feedback that caused you to believe they care about you personally? And uh, they created a word cloud for me. 600, 600 people created, created a word cloud. And three words jumped to the front. Um, big, giant, three words in the word cloud and a bunch of other small ones. They were time, help, success. And the sentence around that sounds like, they took the time to help me be more successful. By the way, both kinds of success that Susan teed up. Short-term success or being a greater, greater job and long-term success. And so in the book, I jokingly call that the UCP, Paul, you know, because it rolls right off the tongue, the universal care personally playbook at work. Um, I don't know if that's really, I think it breaks down outside of work, um, but at work, if you're looking for something more systematic, it's, are you taking time to help people find success? A friend of mine is a part-time teacher. She just finished the book. She said, you got, I got to, she said, Can, I have to find the courage to tell my principal your time helps success thing, you know, because I guess the principal's not doing enough of that. And so if you want people to feel cared for, take the time to help them be more successful. Then they are more likely to stay, um, and you are more, you're more likely to be able to re- retain your team. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I came up with uh, around the great resignation and 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 helping to retain people. And and it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it all kind of tracks together. And 
you know, I think Rob, you know, you'll be happy to know it's got, it's got some math behind it and, and it all, it all kind of holds up. It all kind of holds up pretty well. No, I, I love it. Right. And, and this is like, it's funny you say like how you're talking about like the, the life stories and the pivots and then where do folks want to go is, is literally that's what a lot of what we do. Um, in the early parts of our coaching with folks that are obviously not, they're not reporting to us, um, but they're working with us. And then them understanding their own values and sort of learning who they are in this moment allows them to start to play and understand better where do they want to go in the future. And that's a lot of, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of what we do. <laughs> heavily aligned. Sounds like we're heavily aligned. You're, you're going to dig part four um, <laughs> it, you, when when you get there. I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if you guys ready yet, but you're going to dig part four when you get there. You'll you'll um, you'll see a lot of common ground. So let's go there. What? What? Yeah, don't yeah. leave us hanging, Russ. What's part four? Oh, part four is the sorry. So direction, coaching, career. Part two is direction. Part three is coaching. Ah, part four is career. It. And it's about the long term. You know, Cheryl Sandberg told me. 15 years ago when I was at Google, she was doing some mentoring and she said, with respect to your career, you have to have a long-term vision and a short-term and an 18 month plan were her exact words. I've switched that around to the short-term plan um, because I don't think the 18 months is quite as important. And, um, you know, basically you've got, you've got two groups of people. You have people that have every step of their career planned out ahead of time. And that's what Cheryl said she had, you know, and if she'd stuck with that plan, she wouldn't have ever taken the Google job. The other group of people, though, is way more, it's a little more strange to me. They're, I call them, it's the career Frogger people. You ever played the game Frogger? No. Yeah. Susan, you've never played the game Frogger? I've never even heard of it. Oh, I'm must so not sorry. Be, you must not be old enough, I think. Um, <laughs> She's older that's than the problem. me. <laughs> yeah, but not old enough. Thanks, Rob. Um, yeah. Not a day yeah. over 21. No, it's yeah, we the, could, so the frog crosses the street and there's cars that hit it and you try to avoid the cars. No, yeah. thank you. Too much yeah. violence so, for me. <laughs> basically, there's a little, there's a little frog, I think an Activision game. It was one of, maybe, um, there's a little frog and you control the frog and it's not, it's got to get across the street. It's got to get across the river Get and then it's got to, you know, you got sort of, it's got to get to basically the a very similar looking street, in my opinion. Um, but the frog jumps from open spot to open spot, tries to dodge a truck, tries to dodge the alligators in the river, jumps on the turtle's back. Um, and it's going nowhere special. Um, it's just jumping from open spot to open spot. And it's, uh, it ends up at the other side. If it, if it makes it, it ends up at the other side. And then guess what? It just does that all over again. Um, and so, I, which is shocking to me. Um, people plan their weekends. They plan their weddings. They plan their families. They plan their meals. Like, all, and that all makes sense to me. I'm, I plan stuff too, you know. But this thing you spend way more than half your waking hours on, uh, people are often have no plan. Wow. And and look, every plan, no plan survives first contact. That's that's from a a famous military strategist. You know, Mike Tyson said, "Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth." Um, you know, Murphy's law, uh, you know, plans break down, but you still need to have a plan. It's the platform from which to deviate. And the way we recommend planning in the book is what is the vision, the dream job, not the 10 year plan. None of that. That's not time bound. Just what is the dream? And that, and with, with that in mind together, manager and employee, we're in a much better position to customize your growth plan in the very short run, smallest possible investments you can make that'll help you take tangible progress toward that long-term vision. And, you know, and it's, it's really effective. I mean, the hardest part is people think, oh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And it's, it's nonsense. I've done this a thousand times. I've facilitated literally every one of them into a, into a working vision statement. We don't chisel it on your headstone, you know, so like it can change and it probably, mine's changed multiple, mine once was CEO, once was COO. Now I like being chief people officer. You know, but I was always orienting. I was always making investments that were leading me toward. I was always close, you know, um, and most people are too. So that's the basic idea. That's what I'm saying. I, th I think sounds like there's an awful lot of alignment. There's a ton of detail on, on that whole thing in uh, in part four. I'm curious if in all this research that you did, if you ran into any behaviors that the best leaders possess that perhaps were a little bit counterintuitive, shall we say? 
Yeah. Uh, may, I, I might not be able to get all the way to counterintuitive, but I think, I think you'll dig, I think you'll dig the answer. So as you would imagine, if you take the 12 different behaviors we studied, you know, the big three breaks down to 12, mm-hmm. um, some had much stronger relationships than others, right? It's just the way, it's just the way it works. Um, they didn't, they were not all even, they were not all even. So there are kind of two behaviors that were sort of right at the top. Um, and I can't remember, it's somewhere toward the back of the book, I printed something called the CARES model. It's, um, uh, and this covers the top, really, the CARES model ends up covering the top five, um, the top five behaviors. But I'm just going to, I'll cover two of them and, and leave, leave a cliffhanger for your listeners, um, incentive, incentive to pick it up. <laughs> so the first one, um, the one with the most explanatory power toward engagement is some version of how much do you agree with the following statement? Uh, my manager regularly gives me specific praise for good work. Um, we, um, a lot of people think praise is an ego stroke. They think it's cheerleading. Uh, the reason we put the modifier specific in there is because it's only even halfway useful praise if it's specific, specific and sincere. And the point of praise, or what I call in the book, continue coaching, is actually to help people learn what they need to keep doing what they should continue doing. Um, and people are often not conscious. And so, so you might work a certain way and in one context that might be very effective, another context that might not be. Um, that's sort of, sort of the way it goes. And so it's important to be explicit with people about what they're doing, work products and behaviors, and make sure they understand the way they're doing those things is working. In fact, I recommend in the book a five to one praise to criticism ratio or five to one continue to improve. And I got that from the Positive Coaching Alliance. The Positive Coaching Alliance, I'm pretty sure got it uh, from, oh shoot, the name's escaping me, but a guy did a bunch of work around um, marriages staying together. The healthiest marriages, they found that there was uh, more of a positive feedback cycle in the marriage uh, than a negative one. And so um, uh, if if it's important, if you want it, I'll dig the name out and send it to you after the podcast. Um, So that's kind of the first one that has the strongest relationship. And by the way, as you're coaching people to continue to do things so they can continue to be successful, um, you're also, uh, as the byproduct, you're recognizing them. And a lot of people tend not to feel recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, if you abide by the specific and sincere prescription, uh, you'll never be the manager that the person goes home and says, my boss doesn't even know what I do, which by the way, like 75% of people are saying that about you. So, um, so you know, being very specific means understanding the standards. What are the behavioral standards that you're mm-hmm. giving praise, can, you know, continue coaching on? Core values, uh, respectful workplace. You know, I, th- there's a few sources we can get these from. What are the standards for the work products? You know, is the marketing copy expected to be totally clean and clear the very first time, concise? Um, you know, and so that's, it's really hard to do well, actually. It's, it's, um, you know, if you're just saying good job, you're doing it wrong. That's not specific. And, and that's what the cheerleaders say. We want to be the coaches. Um, so that's the first one. The second one, uh, the second behavior um, that has a very strong relationship with engagement is um, asking for input, asking for feedback and specifically hard feedback. Um, and so what that sounds like maybe is um, some version of how much do you agree with the following statement? My manager regularly solicits feedback from me or something like that. Um, and you think about this for a minute, um, raise your hand if you want to show up to work and not be heard, you know, <laughs> raise your hand, by the way, do you, do you ever, do you know that the, usually the person who runs the meeting, the only person stoked about the meeting is the person running it. Everybody else is like, yeah, what was that? <laughs> right. Like, and so what great managers are doing regularly is there's actually a cycle. I cover, I cover sort of the process in the book in some detail a cycle of asking a specific kind of question. It's specific, open-ended, and asks for a challenge to what's currently happening or conventional wisdom. Um, then they respond very well, which is don't get mad, get curious, You know, active listening, not asking for examples. That feels like a cross-examination. And then they actually act on what was said. They don't have to, they have to respond. You have to respond ultimately. I heard what you said. Here's what I'm going to do differently. Or I heard what you said here. I can't do anything differently for the following reasons. And then repeat and create a positive cycle. And pretty soon you don't have to ask anymore. Pretty soon people will start to offer it. Um, but it's their team too. You know, I hear managers all tell oh, my team, my team. And that's fair. I'm, I'm okay. I use that language too. But guess whose team it is also? It's theirs too. And if you, you got to believe in wisdom of the crowd, 
And your team is sitting on all kinds of answers. Answers about how to better attack whatever market market opportunity you're going after, how we can work better, how our meetings running, how our customer meetings go, um, how we should more efficiently handle our customer service tickets. What should be our editing process for the copy and marketing? Um, your team has all these answers. You know, you just got to go get them and listen clearly and and humbly. You know, humbly and and you know, you got to. Sometimes you'll have a threat response because you're going to tell you stuff you're messing up, and uh, you got to suppress that and really listen, and then and then take action on on the things that you know. Krista Quarles used to be the CEO of OpenTable, and she has this thing called the five percent rule. Uh, when someone gives you tough feedback, find five percent you can agree with, which is it's brilliant. I mean, there's usually way more than five percent in there, you know, <laughs> yeah. but like just find the measly, pal- paltry, tiny, little five percent, and you know, and and then go talk to your people about how you're going to take that take that on board and make changes. Um, who wouldn't want to be on that team, right? You no, know, a team where the manager is saying frequently, first, you know what I love about give it continue coaching. You know what I love about how you ran that customer meeting? X, Y, Z. You know what I love about the way you delivered that code? X, Y, Z. And then they're like, hey, what could be better on this team? Or if this was your budget, how would you spend it? Or how, what could I do to lead our team meeting better? You know, There's all these questions you can just ask. And there's all these clues for you to design these questions. Um, who wouldn't want to be on that team? I, I mean, that's, that's the team everybody wants to be on. And by the way, one of the other really important things that managers do that leads to better engagement is giving the other kind of coaching, improvement coaching, the hard feedback. That's in the CARES model um, as well. So it's not just all sunshine and rainbows here. You also have to be able to give the tough feedback, and that does also lead to engagement. But you asked, our, what are the two? You know, I gave you the two strongest uh, correlators to, to employee engagement. And it was, a, it was a really, it was a fun finding. I couldn't say it was counterintuitive. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, Susan, I had an intuition. If I had to stack rank the behaviors, which ones would have been most correlated, but it, it was awesome. I mean, to see these two behaviors leap to the front of the line and, and they it felt kind of good too, right? Like that's sort of the kind of manager I want to be. Mm-hmm. And so it felt good to get that reinforcement that being, uh, you know, coaching, continue coaching and asking people for their input, rinse, repeat is, is a better, you know, ends up being a happier team that produces better uh, over time. So pretty cool, right? So cool. Well, I was just, <laughs> I was, uh, I'm I was nerding gonna, out over here. I, I know. Like, yeah, this you, is really cool. <laughs> uh, yin and yang, buddy, yin and yang. I have to ask Russ, when should a leader go on this type of up-leveling journey towards adopting all of these critical behaviors that we're talking about on this show today, because the average leader doesn't get leadership training until apparently they're 46 years old. Wasn't that what Bonnie said on the show a couple weeks ago? So that's a question I have to explore with you since we have you in your opinion. Yeah. Really, really good question. First, I think, um, obviously earliest possible moment is better. Um, but I will say that, you know, this book I I I, I take about a page and a half, and I kind of take down senior senior people and say this isn't a birds and bees pamphlet you're handing off to your employees. You need this stuff more than anybody, mm-hmm. um, because the blast radius for senior people is. Mm-hmm. Hey, who's who's that? That's, because that's blast Winston. Radi- he agrees. <laughs> <laughs> the, the blast radius for senior people is so substantial, and they're usually. More sophisticated managers, but they're even their smaller mistakes have you know re- big repercussions right. and effect. So, mm-hmm. but here's the so I teach something up in the book that I think is useful. Um, training actually training alone isn't enough. I think we all have this intuition that when people go to training, a really small number of people are capable of a really small number of behavior changes based on the training, and so it still needs to be done. Um, but I, but I, the model that I used that, that was really effective, um, that I used at Qualtrics and, and, and wrote about in the book is called stack. Like we're going to stack up a bunch of great managers and that, that select, teach, assess coach. And so this is maybe a little more of an administrative idea, but hopefully the, the, the managers who are looking to up level their game, uh, get something from it. So first is stop selecting managers based on how good of an individual contributor they were. Or like they do in food services because, oh, you're still here. You're the manager now. Like yeah, yeah, totally. start selecting for leadership disposition, mm-hmm. um, you know, and now you're just stacking the deck in your favor, right? Not to, you know, and that was, that pun was intended. Mm-hmm. Then you teach 
right? And and by the way, these all, the through line in all of this is a leadership standard. Your your leadership standard, ideally, I'd say one that measurably and predictably leads to better engagement, better results. So on my website, for example, I have a rubric, uh, slash tools I actually have a manager selection rubric, scorable rubric, questions, good answers, bad answers right there. So we can get out of the business of selecting because you were just because you were the best individual contributor. Then you got to teach, teach the leadership standard, same leadership standard you selected off of. Um, ideally, one that measurably, predictably leads to better engagement, better results. And most important is assess. Um, and that is what I've been talking about, this manager effectiveness score. We asked employees, not 360. I don't want the bo- I don't want the manager's boss's opinion. The manager's boss gets plenty of uh, of um, assessment. Input. I don't care about the peers. It's the people that are being led. They do the real work. They're the ones we're fighting to attract, develop, and retain. If you want to know how a manager's leading, ask the people who are being led. And so, only assess from the perspective of the employee. Um, this gets, I, in my opinion, this should be done quarterly. By the way, on that same page slash tools on my website. I put in a little quick and dirty manager effectiveness index. If a manager wanted to go out or if a small company CEO wanted to go understand other managers doing it at scale, they could just take that. It's, it's the questions in the book. They could just take that and get a measurement. Um, and then last is coach. So select, teach, assess, coach. Um, and coach when there's gaps. There will always be gaps in that assessment, right? It's, it's a gift. You think you're knocking it out of park, hitting a home run. Your employee isn't seeing those behaviors. You, you just need to figure out a better way to convey those behaviors then. Um, or to confer the behaviors, um, or confer the outcomes of the behaviors on the employees, and so, um, you know, coach for the gaps. So we, we, you know, I, I, five hundred fifty managers, and we could see, a, we could see the scores, you know, and, you know, and there was some that scored really poorly, and we call them up and grab their managers and say, hey, not punitive here. We're just, but we see some gaps. How can we all help? You know, let's get you better because your team deserves to be led well, and you're mm-hmm. not doing that now, you know, and that's okay. Like, let's just get better. As a result of that effort, select teach assess coach. Over my four years at Qualtrics, we added 500 managers, and the managers got measurably better. Measurably better. As we added 500, most companies can't even tell you if their managers got measurably better. Measurably better if they added zero. We added 500, and they got measurably better. And it's because we did select teach assess coach. Um, so, look, I think that what I've noticed so far with people reading the book, Susan, is yeah, you know, I've heard some people say. Every new manager should get this book right away. One one woman I think wrote that review on Amazon. Um, I, I love that. You know, I love that. Of course, I love that idea. Um, it's for managers. It's for aspiring managers. And so, if you're thinking you might be a manager, that might be the best time to start your study to become a good one. You know, take a full thirty-inch step. That, that's a Marine Corps uh, drill term. Take a full thirty-inch step the day you get the gig. You're ready. Um, but if you're already in it. It's never too late. And if you're senior, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Go back and relearn the basics. Senior managers, like C-level, think they don't need to manage the other C-level because they think, <laughs> oh, they got it. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. Like Totally. Um, so, so I think it's never too late. But yeah, ideally, it's kind of before you get the big, the big job. Never too late. And the sooner, the better. Perfect. That's the, that's the takeaway. I should have said that. I wish I said that. that was really I love clean. it. We got to wrap up here. For everyone out there, so when they win, you win.com. It has links to the books. Also, you can pick it up Amazon bookstores around you. It also, as Russ mentioned, has a bunch of the free tools that he talks mm-hmm. about. If you just hit tools, it's on the top. And you can download the management assessment tool, the interview tool, all these other tools, which is incredible that Russ has given it away for free. Russ, is there anything else you'd like our folks to either connect you with or follow you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we're, we're on Twitter. Uh, that's my favorite. I work there, but also Facebook. But both They Win You In and myself are on those and on Instagram. And then I'm on LinkedIn. And that's totally cool to connect with me there. I'm pretty responsive, actually, um, especially now as we're getting the book going. By the way, just for fun, book hit... Um, it was the number one new release in four different categories on Amazon over the past week, which is super Woo-hoo! cool. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Congratulations. Um, yeah. And that was the audiobook. And then I would look down the list and the, the hardcover would be like third or fourth or fifth in those lists. So that was Amazing. that was pretty slick. And I don't I don't know. Can I can I just have a like a parting, one parting like yes, motivational please. word? Because I know you got please, gotta please. Here, here's like why I wrote this book is 
I just believe that people deserve to be led well. And I don't like the word deserve, actually. I think it gets a little bit abused in the, in the world. But people do deserve to be led well, right? They spend half their waking hours at their jobs. And is it too much to ask that they're being successful and doing so in a rewarding environment? Um, people just want to do great work and they want to be totally psyched while doing it. And here's the rub, folks. Like, and I, I give the stats in the book. The manager is the person most likely by a mile to create or destroy the circumstances under which that happens, under which people do great work and are totally psyched while doing it. And so, uh, um, by the way, maybe even as much as 70% of the answer to, to making those circumstances happen. So I'm begging you managers, you know, we're on a quest to make every manageable, measurably, manager measurably great and to rid the world of ass clown managers everywhere. And so, you know, I'm just kind of begging you if, if you're out there leading teams, maybe take a look. Um, it's never, always, it's always time to get better. And, um, you know, you're the one, you're the one that's going to make or break your team's success and, and the environment that they're in. So that's my parting, parting, parting words. Thanks so much for having me on gang. I love it, Ross. And it's, we're on the same mission as you are. We are on a mission to change the game of business and life forever. And it's through leadership and it's through those people going to work, being happier, healthier, and performing better, and bringing that home with them. And that's love the it. ripple effect we want to have. So I love this interview. I'm, we'll have to have you back on because I know I want to I go deeper. And folks out there, the book, When You Win, They Win, or sorry, When, when they, they Win, win, yeah, when they win You, you win, win, yeah. head on over to Amazon. I, everyone will want it on Audible because... Everyone in our audience is an audio person. So it's incredible. Russ, thank you so much. Susan, thank you so much. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thanks again for having me. See ya.